How long have we been out here anyhow? Uh, hey, hey guys, I've been trying to connect to the internet for like an hour now. Any of you having any luck? Nothing. Last thing I got on my phone was some warning about entering a radioactive dead zone. Probably just spam. Hmm, let me try. Hmm. Yes, interesting. Well, it's official. I got no bars. It's all the brutalist concrete architecture around here. Blocks the signal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is that true? Or are you just making up to sound clever? Um, well, shut up. No, I think he's on to something. We're going to have some real problems transmitting a conclave unless we get to some higher ground. What if we were, say, up on top of, like, a big steel Soviet-era rocket ship? How big? Like, so big, you could have, like, a roller coaster going around and around it with weirdly outdated propaganda everywhere? That's weirdly specific, but yeah, that would work, actually. What are you blathering on about? Look over there. Is that a... is that theme park? Let me just get out my, my telemetric heliohancing view scopers. They're just normal binoculars painted silver. <sighs> Let me have this. Mm, looks like an abandoned theme park. What do you say? Check it out. Hmm. Theme park means gift shop, snacks, drinks. Ooh, bar. Maybe. One can hope. Let's go! Ooh, roller coasters, spaceship rides, Ferris wheel. Boozy Ferris wheel? One can certainly hope. What? Never you mind. So, wait, what exactly is this place? Hmm, this plaque says, The World of Next Tuesday. You know what it, what, what this, this whole, this whole thing looks like? It looks a lot like tomorrow. Shh, do you want to get sued by the mouse? Because that is how you get sued by the mouse. It says right here on the plaque, the world of next Tuesday is a singularly unique and legally distinct creation of diligent Soviet workers. Any resemblance, likeness, or reference to any capitalist oppressor mouse property, past, present, or future, is purely coincidental. I certainly covered their asses. Marginally. Marxistly. Well, you never can be too careful when it comes to those capitalist oppressors. Hey, does this place seem kind of uh, communisty to you? Yeah, this place gives me the fucking creeps. Oh, you know, you know what all this 1980s imagining of 2020 era tech reminds me of? What? Yeah, that that one that one weird sci-fi movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Do you have any idea how little that narrows it down? I mean, are we talking spandex game show Arnie or leather cyborg Arnie? <laughs> uh, the one where uh, Arnie screams so much his eyes bug out of his skull? You have to be way more specific than that. It's not a tumor. Get to the chopper. I could have been a contender. I need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. From each according to his abilities to each according to his needs. Get your ass to Mars. Uh, uh, Mars, yes, that one. Total recall. Hmm, I don't suppose we've done a conclave on that one yet. Because reasons. Wait, so did I just suggest a conclavable movie? Right. Hey, we got a rocket to climb and a conclave to conclaviate. Let's go! Come with me if you want to. Oh, dear. They're already off again. <laughs> if we're going to do a conclave, we need proper seating. That construction pit looks comfy. 
Dibs on the scrap pile. <sighs> I can't believe I'm reduced to worse seating than an undergrad student lecture hall. Right? <laughs> Wait. All this construction equipment reminds me of our dear strip mall. Ouch. The strip mall of the damned. No longer. My bookstore. This again? Can't you just turn over a new leaf? Ugh. Leaf? Age? Looks? Get it? I get it. That was weak, but the pun checks out. I'll allow it. To the ever comfy dirt piles. Think of think of it, Hope, as starting a new chapter. Oh shush! (laughs) (laughs) You shut your slutty mouth. Within a mysteriously empty 80s Future Core theme park, leagues away from what was once the strip ball of the damned. Wait, how long is a league? Three miles. How the fuck do you... You know what, never mind. Past the futuristic flying cars and McCarthyist propaganda posters, beyond the rats gleefully leaping through the rubble of unfinished construction, a secret society assembles. To scrutinize those films rumored to drive viewers to madness and dissolution. Draw closer, dear listener, and let your trembling ears sup upon the eldritch knowledge of the Cinemania Society. We, we the fellows of the Lenses Hall, do convene to judge if it's worthy of our esteem, or whether it should be cast down worth hokum. Let us start our our shit. We the fellows! Ooh. Ooh, I hate this. Ah, nothing like the great outdoors. I could have sworn I felt something moving in this pile of dirt. What, like from enemy mine? Oh, no matter. We assemble. Sweet, sweet dirt. Only one thing could make this better. Don't say a door. I wasn't. I was thinking about something else, not even remotely door-related. Entirely free of entrances, portals, access ways, and hatches. Right. What about vents? Vents Uh. are right out. (laughs) Vents are uh, uh, so uh, way too sus. Anyway, haha. Anyway, uh, uh, okay. (laughs) Here, here, here we go. (sighs) Finally. A movie I know. Andre. Huh? Focus, repositor Andre. Find me something to use as a gavel. You seriously didn't just hear that? Hear what? Sounded like some lady calling... Never mind. Ah, gavel. Right. Seriously, you lose gavels faster than I lose my shoes. Huh? Where are your shoes? Where's your gavel? Touche. I swear to God, as soon as you find a gavel, I'm gonna pin it to your fucking shirt with one of those little leash things, you know, like a toddler's pacifier. It's a vital piece of equipment, Philistine. There's a bunch of tools over here. Hey, will this hammer work? Ball peen or claw? (laughs) You said peen. It's, I I mean, look, it's got a handly bit and a thumpy thingy, all right? Hmm. Is that a solid ash handle or composite polymer? Oh, for fuck... Dude, take the thing and bang it against some other thing. Here, I found a bunch of water jugs and crap. 
fucking hit it. What kind of jugs are we talking about here? Bouncy? Dangly? Pointy handfuls? Uh, more like champagne. I think we're getting off topic. Hey, you let her mm. speak. This sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sure, it sounds official enough. Enough! It is done. Respect my jugs. <laughs> <laughs> what? Jugs. <laughs> All right. And welcome to our listeners, to whom I will now issue this warning. We disciples of the Cinemania Society have studied the mysteries of the motion picture and meditated upon the silver screen for many years. Therefore, we have become inured to the films we scrutinize which may contain hazards unsuitable to young and sensitive ears. As such, but this is reading way too much like Hallmark, hold on. Therefore, we have become inured to the films we scrutinize, which may contain hazards unsuitable to young and sensitive ears. As such, we advise anyone listening to do so with discretion. Guard your ears carefully lest you develop a severe and irreversible case of cinemania. Present at our conclave tonight are... Sinquisitor Ethan, Keeper of the Lenses. Scrutinizer Zachariah, Guardian of the Door. Profligator Daniel, possessor of the word. Auntie Hope, keeper of the booze, since I'm out of books at the moment. Womp womp. Professor Andrea, scholar of San Francisco. Verifier Andy, master illuminator. And repositor Andre, voice from the outer world. And I will be serving as our pawn effects of presentment. <laughs> Doomed. I call to order this conclave on Total Recall, the 1990 Arnold Schwarzenegger action flick directed by Paul Verhoeven. That's James Bond meets Memento in space. But somehow both dumber and smarter than that sounds. It's because uh, it's full of dick. <laughs> <laughs> Philip K. Dick. Ani Hope will act as master castigator for this conclave. Charges against the film Total Recall include incorrect use of vaguely scientific terms, self-driving cars uglier than a gremlin and more explosive than a pinto, overuse of prosthetics, inspiring Elon Musk, excessive use of incorrect scientific explanations, employing multiple Star Trek actors, but somehow not Jeffrey Combs, the most spectacularly phony depiction of decompression ever committed to celluloid. Trigger warnings for this film include explosive decompression, bulging eyeballs, radiation mutation, extra boobs, non-consensual brain fuckery, consensual brain fuckery, class warfare, and rambling villain monologues. Actual trigger warnings include mild body horror, sexual objectification, and attempted mass murder. Blast off, I guess. So, uh, uh, Hope, read us in, yeah? All right. Welcome to Mars, everybody. And we know it's Mars because it is super red. And Arnie's taking a nice stroll in his pressure suit, holding hands with a beautiful woman. He trips, breaks his helmet, and falls victim to rapid decompression. Paul Verhoeven really wants us to know how bad an idea it is to be on Mars with a busted helmet. Because these special effects are gross. Maybe that'll be important later? This is what they call foreshadowing. 
Ooh. And it really is just a, a little trip. I mean, he just, he just bonks his head a little bit, and suddenly the whole faceplate is just blasted. What the hell is that? But yeah, we not... are treated to some of the best Arnold gargles of his career. <laughs> Unmatched since Conan, yeah. Yeah. No, no, better than Conan. Like, he, he nails this better than Conan. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> no, I agree. <laughs> Fortunately, it's all a dream, and Arnie wakes up mid-scream in bed with a different beautiful woman. In this case, his wife, Lori, played by the fabulous Sharon Stone. She decides that some loud, sloppy kissing is just what he needs to take his mind off his terrible nightmares and his obsession with Mars. Cue more Arnold slobber. (laughs) (laughs) Did they just loop that sound for his kissing? (laughs) I'm kissing you now. This is romantic. (laughs) I am I am I am particularly reminded of his line from um, Pumping Iron. The I'm pumping, I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh God, yeah. So far, it seems the movie could have been written by Arnie himself. Laurie vacillates between being jealous of the dream lady and wanting to climb Arnie like a ferret up a sweaty Austrian oak tree. Later in the kitchen, Arnie prepares his special recovery cocktail, mixing up what all men of the future have for breakfast: a protein shake. Takes a lot of protein and electrolytes to be married to Sharon Stone. <laughs> the combination wall slash TV screen shows a classic selection of hyper-violent Paul Verhoeven news class, just like in Robocop. Remember when Robocop shot that guy in the dick? Uh, oh, that was like 37 years ago, but it feels like and- yesterday. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, Lori tells him not to watch all the bad news about the trouble on Mars and so forth and tries to distract him. Wink, wink. The convenient exposition news tells us all about the current terrorist uprising slash war on Mars. Then Arnie suggests moving there. Seriously, dude? They literally just finished detailing the massive destruction, and that prompted you to suggest moving? You want to become a casualty? Because that's how you become a casualty. I was thinking about moving to Beirut. (laughs) Well, everybody knows that you can't trust big media. Lori suggests Saturn instead, but Arnie is dead set on Mars. Dead set. She keeps trying to change the subject, mostly by making out with him, but he only has eyes for the businessman on the TV. He's a guy named Cohagen, whom we'll get to know well very soon. Seriously, (laughs) while making out with Sharon fucking Stone, he is looking over her shoulder ogling Ronnie Cox on the TV. What the fuck, dude? Uh, Cox, I think that answers your question. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, listen, he played the competent and completely justified Captain Jellicoe on Star Trek. Fight me, nerds. And was also the corrupt executive Dick Jones in Robocop. Remember when we we all remember? I'm just checking. It was 37 years ago. Like, I just, uh, just, when when they bring up Saturn, it's just, that is objectively the best better option like this really made like i didn't realize how, how mad this made me until like just now because yeah <laughs> mars is not only mars which you know low gravity uh uh the sand is so fine it will fill up your lungs and cut them up like razor blades did, but like, did you forget that saturn's a gas giant and doesn't actually have a surface for you no, to no, no, be no, on no, because the titan. suggestion here titan. is titan yes exactly well that's fine but they didn't say one of saturn's moons they said saturn you can you can the theoretically make movie. a paris like a like a what's it called the the um the 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 hang gliders you could you could theoretically flap your flap like a hang glider and fly on titan and constantly you would see saturn in the fucking sky 
all of the time and you want to go to not just Mars but a, but Mars that is like in complete and total political upheaval while people are literally killing each other in the streets incorrect Arnie bad assessment sorry you've given just, this a lot of <sighs> thought and also Titan is the future headquarters of the Grey Knights chapter of Space Marines oh <laughs> good choice and if that's not an appealing place to be you're a heretic <laughs> uh, <and laughs> you might be a heretic. And you know, heresy begets retribution. <laughs> heresy leads to retribution. I hate that. <laughs> anyway, Arnie heads to the subway station, and after going through a huge x ray scanner that was a major special effect at the time, still holds up today. He watches a conveniently timed ad for Recall playing on the giant shitty tube TV screens in the subway cars. Real, uneven use of super future tech. They promise the memory of a lifetime, and Arnie is transfixed. They filmed all this in the Mexico City subway because of its quote-unquote futuristic architecture, and Mexico City kept the TVs in there. I don't blame them. Turns out Arnie's job is construction. Nothing specific, just general sort of construction stuff. Like in the Barbie movie when Ken's job was just beach. He's practically riding a jackhammer. Scene <laughs> is for you, ladies. While talking to his work buddy, Harry, about recall. They aren't wearing any ear protection and can somehow hear each other over the jackhammers. Who needs safety equipment in the future? Harry warns him against the idea, saying, Don't fuck with your brain, pal. Because supposedly he knew somebody who was basically lobotomized. Arnie obviously doesn't listen because at the very first opportunity, he's in the recall offices. They're so cool and futuristic, they spell it all weird, and no one even brings it up. Recall with a K and two L's. In the book, it was spelled with one L, and he wanted to make sure that you knew it was recall by adding the second L, because otherwise people might... Actually, uh, they even said reckle, and he said, no, no, it's pronounced recall in the book. Reckle, rectal, you know. I mean, this is all... Don't want to get confused. Yeah, this is just any Silicon Valley startup, honestly. No, seriously. Like, this definitely has that feel of startup. Like, I'm this Googling. Is there might actually be one. No shot. Or any child of a millennial with a weird-ass spelled name. <laughs> this Very is my real. son, Hunter, Thomas, and Reckel. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's Hunter with a G and two Fs. Ugh. Right G-H-E next to Rowan. G-T-E-R. R- Rowan yeah. with an H. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. I don't know. Reckall would be a good wrestler name. On the record. Nice. Gonna give you a record exam. The receptionist pauses coloring her nails with a future stylist thingy. In the story, it was her breasts that were painted different colors, but it's still a nifty bit of visual effects. You can bet Verhoeven would have had color-changing titty tech if only the special effects would have allowed it. Anyway, she calls her boss McLean on a video phone while he is visible through the window directly behind her. She could have turned around and looked him in the eye. But this is the 80s, and if we can stick a screen on something, we will, damn it. Did this scene predict the future act of texting someone while in the same room? (laughs) The mistake they made was thinking we'd use technology to see more of each other and speak face-to-face whenever possible. (laughs) Disgusting. You can just tell that Verhoeven is off camera going, look, are you sure we can't make the titties change color? I really think it'd be good for the film. <laughs> they, they actually, like, the funny thing is that this this whole scene really feels like it was ripped straight out of the book. I mean, apart from the, the color-changing breast technology, like, the, they, they really, really captured the, the feel of the book, which is kind of surprising in, in this kind of what feels like, a, I don't say throwaway scene, but they, 
they really captured that um, corporate chicanery, you know, of like like setting you like like we're doing this thing that that we know is probably really really dangerous and damaging to humanity, but you know we have money to make, so we're gonna just put you at ease with some jiggered stats. It really yeah. feels like someone's trying to sell you a timeshare. Really, yeah. <laughs> it's just a brain Move time. Fast share. and break stuff, huh? Uh, apparently, in the real world, this is also true. I just googled it. There is a recall.ai. Recall is a team of elite engineers and data scientists. From hang on, from strategy to execution, we challenge businesses, large and small, to ignore the impossible and seize upon market-defining business opportunities. Unfortunately, they wow. did ignore the impossible and refuse to engage with these morons. <laughs> you know, like you have to make a point though that that they like when you said that this this movie must have inspired Elon Musk. Like you've got the whole Neuralink and you've got the whole like I'm going to set up a Martian death colony thing. So, like, <laughs> who would watch this movie and say a Martian colony? That's the thing I want to do. Well, depressingly, we have the answer to that question. I think yep. the only people properly inspired by this movie were the Wachowskis, who, you know, kind of kept the theme going with the Matrix and such, you know. Future tech is bad. Don't plug your brain into shit. Yeah, exactly. Don't take the red pill or the blue pill. I can't remember which. In Soviet Russia. Pill takes you. So, Arnie asks about a dream vacation to Mars. Dream as in not real, but you're still going to insist on telling people about it anyway the next morning. McLean also tries to dissuade Arnie from going to boring old Mars, but Arnie has his heart set on urban decay and oppressive future fascism, like an Elon Musk fanboy with actual muscles. It's Mars or nothing for this hunk of beef jerky with a face. Capitalism has truly prevailed in this future where workers don't even get to take time off for their vacations. That's No, I mean, that's a really key point. Like, I mean... <laughs> This is this is saying a lot, particularly in the era uh, when you say this this takes place in the 1990s and workers were being stripped of of their pensions and stripped of their vacations and all the whole package that that workers had been uh, expecting up to this point. I mean, this is this is the time when people are being stripped of all this stuff. So this decline is, of the minimum wage, all mm -hmm. of that shit. And this is another part that's different from the story. There was a there's a slight difference, though. In this, Arnie's going to know that it's a dream and he might get some souvenirs and stuff and take it back. But in the story, you weren't supposed to know it was a dream and the souvenirs would be already in your house or the postcards would be mailed so that it was uh, more realistic, like so that you didn't even realize it was a dream instead of just being given all the stuff. Well, that was the thing is that when Phil Dick wrote this book, like one of the things that he, he warned about in the late 70s was the idea of being unceasingly bombarded with pseudo realities manufactured by sophisticated people using sophisticated electronic mechanisms, which I would say we're right, we're already there. But yeah. like he was worried about this in in the early seventies when he wrote the story. Makes sense. He was right. <laughs> Despite being adamant about going to Mars, Arnie voices his safety concerns. Ari, the whole guy who got lobotomized thing, and McLean assures him that's ancient history, while showing him some colorful graphs and data on just how few brains they scramble nowadays. Colorful, graphy. McLean goes into upsale mode and offers Arnie the ego trip package that lets you have a different identity on your vacation memories. Arnie is instantly drawn to the secret agent storyline and eagerly adds it. There's even mention of a holiday fling with a femme fatale. You know, because the constant athletic sex with 1990s Sharon Stone can be such a bore. His instincts are far more basic. 
Cut to Arnie grinning like an idiot and laying back into a machine that will certainly be reused as futuristic and or alien technology in other movies. The standard factory-issue lab-coated technician asks Arnie if it's his first trip, and the tech reassures him, don't worry, things hardly ever fuck up around here. I don't know about you, but when somebody's about to do electric thingies to my brain flesh, I wouldn't trust a guy who's only mostly good at it. However, Arnie isn't bothered in the least and relaxes back into the seat. The doctor asks, would you like us to integrate any alien stuff? Referencing the finding of alien artifacts on Mars that we heard about in that convenient news story at the beginning. Take notes, kids. This stuff might be important later. What's alien stuff anyway? I mean, it's anything you want it to be. Wink, wink. I do not take recommendations from a man with a damp typewriter. The doc asks Arnie if he's ready for Dreamland and then stabs him in the neck with a giant syringe before he has a chance to answer. Because, come on, it's not like it fucks up often. Relax, bro. You know, so much for informed consent. Also, I'm pretty sure that sound effect was a nail gun. You ever noticed that it's always right in the neck whenever they give anyone injections? It's in always right yeah. in the fucking neck. <laughs> Sci-fi moment. I mean, straight to the jugular. Well, you expect him to just be approaching Arnold's ass with a nail gun? <laughs> well, it's much more dramatic than putting, you know, an IV cannula into somebody's hand. You know, to the back of someone's hand. Like, that doesn't look like a big deal. But honestly, if they're giving you the, the milk of amnesia. Dramatic, realistic, you know. You gotta split the difference. But it's but it's a it's a trope, dude. Watch every movie; it's always right in the neck. Even, Even in Star Trek, Star Trek, the next Trek when they stop, yeah, they give you the the hypo spray yep. right yeah, in say. the goddamn yep. neck. Yep, right in the neck. <laughs> so we can see your facial expression while it happens. So while Arnie begins to slowly fall under the influence of enough drugs to make a horse sit up and ask for tea, they ask him a few questions to fine tune his experience while showing him options of companions. Arnie and the doctor complete his grown-up Build-A-Bear, because that's how women work in the future. And the present. And forever. As he begins to fade out, he looks closer at the woman on the screen. She's identical to the woman from his dream. Foreshadowing? Post-shadowing? Arnie is woozy here, so is the woman on the screen really the same as his dream? Or is he already dreaming again? No one knows. Well, no, to make a point that both realities are simultaneously real. Like both realities are real. That was one of the that's one oh. of the things that that Verhoeven said later. Mm. Okay then. Like the ambiguity is the point. Very nineties. While all of this is going on, the salesman McLean is with another customer discussing an even grosser fantasy package, with the emphasis on package. The receptionist starts banging wildly on the window to get his attention because that stupid video phone is functionally useless since he muted it, like every phone nowadays. He answers his phone and the doctor tells him to get to the lab because it looks like we got another schizoid embolism, which is a phrase that makes absolutely zero sense if you have even the slightest clue what schizoid and embolism mean, but has just enough futuristic sciency words to sound good to an early 90s audience. The doctor and company are trying in vain to restrain Arnie, who's screaming, you blew my cover, with his face covered in sweat and bulging veins. This is one of those classic 90s Arnie screams, Real quality stuff. <laughs> Doc tells McLean they've hit a memory block while they shoot Arnie with enough drugs to liquefy an illegal rave, and he passes out in a sweaty heap. <laughs> McLean thinks Arnie's just acting out the secret agent ego trip with all this talk about cover and shit, but the Doc tells him they hadn't even started that yet, so these must be real memories they've uncovered. McLean decides the responsible and consumer-focused thing to do is cover their tracks and pretend they've never heard of Quaid. 
Then he tasks the scrawny tech and tiny receptionist with getting an unconscious Arnie into a cab. From the looks of them, they're going to need at minimum a forklift. Yeah, I mean, this is Arnie is bulging like hell here. I mean, <laughs> are they forklift certified, though? All right, guys, let's let's take a break. I am tired of sitting in the dirt. and explore this place a little bit. But we always sit during a conclave. The sitting is part of the fun. That and, and the, the fun judging. is mandatory, isn't it? That and the judging. Judging and sitting and the mandatory fun. And snacks. And booze. This sitting spot leaves a lot to be desired. So sure, Hope, let's check it out. I suppose we can walk and talk, but this is... Very unorthodox. That next building looks like some sort of museum-ish exhibit about the history of space exploration. Ooh, that looks positively educational. About the very real moon landing that definitely happened and wasn't just a movie set. Ew, theme parks should never be educational. Yeah, God forbid you actually learn something. That's right. Learning stuff is my thing. Nobody better gain anything from this or I'll sue. Fine, fine, fine. We can finish up the summary while we look around and try not to learn. And maybe we can find something to mix with this booze. All Hope had in her purse were several flasks of straight vodka. How proletarian. Uh, Say, uh, anyone see where Brother Methuselah got to? (laughs) Anyone care? (laughs) (laughs) So who's going to take our next segment? I'll take this one. All right. Well... Arnie wakes up in the backseat of a Johnny cab on his way to God knows where. The automated driver looks like an animatronic version of Don Knotts and is voiced by none other than our favorite Star Trek hologram, Robert Picardo. Apparently, the future of travel is Uber crossed with ChatGPT. What a grim portent of things to come. Uh, You know, Zach and I actually worked with Robert Picardo in 2008. Yeah, we met Robert Picardo, didn't we? Really decent guy. Like, actually, he was was a really, really good guy and and excellent to work with. That's good to hear. Yeah, yeah, he is fun to work with. I still remember... I still remember something he said when he was having trouble throwing paper onto a, in front of a camera. He said, I'm an actor. I can't actually do anything. I can just look like I can. So so if you if you guys actually knew him, maybe you can answer this question for me. I've always been wondering about. It. So um, who is Robert Picardo? Oh, you son of a bitch. Okay, so Robert Picardo, actually, here's the thing. He he has been in over 150 different movies and television shows since the 80s. Um, And the funny note about him is, despite the fact that he, um, he is... He usually plays some kind of medical professional. So Star Trek Voyager, he played the holographic doctor. And then also in a TV series called China Beach in the 80s, if anybody remembers that show in the Vietnam oh, yeah. War, he played a military doctor, which is really funny because he actually went to Yale Med School and then dropped out of Yale Med School to then go into the Yale Drama School. <laughs> and uh, much to the chagrin of his parents. And then irony being what it is, ended up playing doctors on television for 20 years. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. Uh, more importantly, he played the Iranian singing cowboy in Inner Space. Yes. <laughs> I love that guy. Oh, shit, that guy. Yes. <laughs> yes, he is the ultimate that guy. Oh. <laughs> in Gremlins, he's, also... he's the lawyer who made out with the female Gremlin. In Gremlins too, I should say. Yes. Huh. <laughs> um, he also was... Uh... 
He was in Black Ops 3, of all things. Yep. He was the voice of the male alien in Explorers as well. When at yep. the end, when they run into the two alien kids, he's the voice of the of the boy alien. Yep. We should definitely do a PAC on him. Yes, oh, we yeah. should. Definitely. Absolutely. And send it to him. <laughs> yeah. Quick <laughs> nudge, nudge. Well, we've well, already had Tim note, Russ on the show, so. Yeah. <laughs> on a more mundane okay. note, the Continue. tune he was whistling in that scene is uh, the Norwegian national anthem. And oh. the car he's driving is a boxy monstrosity with a joystick. Agreed. Speaking of which, Arnie has to be let out of the car as they are conveniently passing his apartment building. He exits through the cab's gullwing doors, which all of the futuristic vehicles have at this time, and runs into his work buddy, Harry, who is also conveniently in front of the building. Harry asks how the trip was and gives Arnie shit for going to recall despite being warned against it. Arnie doesn't remember anything and tries to go up the stairs only to be grabbed by a few goons while Harry pulls a gun on him and accuses him of blabbing about Mars. Arnie doesn't know what's going on but goes into full-on Jason Bourne mode and kills the guys in ways he didn't even know he knew how to do. Turns out he never needed a jackhammer to smash it up, if you know what I mean. In Quaid's apartment, Laurie is playing Wii Sports with a holographic tennis coach while wearing 80s-style workout gear. Very nice. The most fashionable and least practical of all workout gear. Seriously, if I tried to work out in that getup, I'd give myself a black eye. <laughs> why, why is that? Could you explain? No, uh, no, no. No, no. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Admittedly, she does look like she's ready to get physical. Let's get physical. No, physical. no, 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 We'll have none of that. Arnie tells her what happened and she blazes everything on recall, telling him he's just having paranoid delusions. Arnie shows her his blood-covered hands as proof that it isn't all in his head. Uh, blood that conveniently didn't get on her or any of the other dozen things he's touched since he got home. Laurie calls the doctor while Arnie washes up. When he comes out of the bathroom, the lights are off, and Arnie is shot at and attacked by an unseen assailant who has the accuracy of a stormtrooper who only has instincts for the basics. Mm. You'd think if she's an assassin, she would have just snuck up behind him while he was in the bathroom and, you know, blown his brains out. Oops. First, yeah, she has so to find them. We've got a minimum runtime to commit to and here. And she blew his brains out earlier in the movie. Well, <laughs> well played. <laughs> He eventually subdues this mysterious attacker, and surprise, surprise, it is in fact his wife Laurie trying to kill him. He gets her to talk, and it turns out she didn't know him until six weeks ago. She tells him their whole life and new personality were implanted, and she was set up as his fake wife to make sure the erasure took hold. Arnie is skeptical, but unsure what to believe. Sorry, Quaid, your whole life is just a dream, she says. Arnie asks who he really is, and she claims not to know. I just work here. Nice work if you can get it, though. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, my. Quite a ride. Well, I think that's good. You were the best assignment I ever had, she then tells him, seductively, uh -oh. while suggesting one last quickie, you know, for old time's sake. Old, old times it's six being, weeks. Uh, yeah, old, <laughs> old times being a month and a half in this case. Arnie is definitely considering it until the security camera catches his eye and he sees some more goons headed up to the apartment. 
Seriously, how jaded is he that he consistently gets distracted while making out with Sharon fucking Stone? Right. He calls her a clever girl before knocking her unconscious and running away, which is the proper way to deal with both velociraptors and sexy assassins. Okay, so yeah, funny thing about this scene is that Paul Verhoeven is on record as saying that Sharon Stone's performance here in this specific scene is what led him to cast her as Catherine Trammell in his 1992 Basic Instinct. Um, specifically, he cites the way that Stone's expression goes from evil, uh, murderous, to loving and passionate in the blink of an eye, and then back again. Um, <laughs> the rumor has it this Jekyll and Hyde trick didn't just happen on screen. Yes, she was <laughs> notorious to be to uh, work with. Nice. Well, Michael Ironside and his henchmen burst in. Yay! It's the 90s, so if you're hanging around with Michael Ironside, chances are you are a henchman. That man Ooh. knew good henching. They wake up Laurie and use a prop straight out of Ghostbusters to track Quaid. It's actually, it's basically just like that doodad they used when they were tracking Robocop. Don't say it. I wasn't gonna. Good. Right in the dick, though. <laughs> it turns out Laurie is actually married to this guy, Richter, and he plants a big wet kiss on her like he's marking his territory. Uh, Sharon Stone said that uh, Michael Ironside was the only guy on set who treated her like a lady that whole shoot. You know, like he would help her up after stunts and stuff. And, um, I'm not sure whether that's a good thing or deeply internalized sexism, but she said she appreciated him for it, and I'm not going to second guess her. You know, uh, she, uh, she's somebody who got treated like shit a lot by a lot of her male co-stars, and so if he was kind to her, then good. Mm -hmm. You know, this this actually tracks when like our um, basic instinct, also with Arnold Schwarzenegger also with a lot of the same stunt team, um, there was uh, talk of lots of sexism, especially from Elijah Dishku, who was very mistreated as a young actress mm -hmm. on that set. So, yeah, good on Michael Ironsides is all I'm saying. What a good Quite guy. Sorry. I bet yeah, we'll I come to love him over the course of this whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> I kept getting Michael Ironside confused with Dean Stockwell. <laughs> so I had to look oh, it up. I was like, oh, it's not dang. that guy. You make that mistake. They look nothing alike. I, but some, I don't know. <laughs> she said that, um, she said that everybody else just treated her like one of the guys on set, which, you know, I, it's, it's up to her. She got a lot of bad treatment, uh, from a lot of people through most of her acting career. And so if Michael Ironside was good to her and she remembers him for being good to her, then great. Yeah, I, I will just note, um, he, this may have very well been the case at that time, but his um, old-fashioned chivalry attitudes have not aged well. Yeah, I mean, nothing nothing outrageous, outrageous that would have gotten him canceled, but, like, what's the big fucking deal? He's hey. an older guy. He's yeah. a boomer. <laughs> Gotta know your audience. Speaking of boomer, you remember when he made that guy's head explode on scanners? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Michael Ironside and the goons follow Arnie into the subway. And, oh, do you remember that giant x-ray scanner thing? Arnie doesn't, because he walks right through it, and the TSA agents immediately see his gun and try to stop him. Arnie bursts through the x-ray screen, and a chase sequence ensues with zero regard for casualties. Both Arnie and the goons use literal human shields with those good-good 1990s blood squibs bursting off everywhere. Ha-ha, <laughs> satisfying. And this scene is a big part of why the film initially got an X rating, which they got changed to an R after a few cuts. Um, but to be fair, 
fair. More Verhoeven fair. films got X ratings on their first cut than didn't, because Paulie Boy sure likes his hard R's. Oh, yeah. William H. Hayes is rolling in his grave. As it should be. Well, you know, the uh, the Wild Bunch got, like, got hit for, what, an extreme rating due to gore, too, and that was, like, back in the 1960s, 70s? But you uh, watch it now, and it just looks tame. Yeah, the first part real. of the scene with the skeletons fighting each other actually looked pretty cool. <laughs> kind of reminded me of um, Clash of the Titans or um, oh, yeah. one of those other skeleton ones. Do you remember in the 90s after this film, everyone had to use that skeletons animation effect? They just appeared everywhere. They even reused <laughs> yeah. it later in Eraser with Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm, I don't remember because I was only watching G-rated films at that point. Damn. If so well, were you, Andre, you weren't even bored. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Speaking of being followed, anybody else feel like we're not the only ones here? Eh, it's probably just the creepy animatronics. Their eyes, they just seem to follow you around. Uh, like a painting in a Scooby-Doo cartoon or a painting of Scooby-Doo. Yeah, anyway, enough fear-mongering. Back to the movie. Actually, that shoot 'em up scene I found kind of hard to watch uh, because it was just really uber violent, and it wasn't just the goons that were getting shot. It was like uh, bystanders using being used as human shields. It was kind of hard to take. Well, this was actually a thing that came up with Verhoeven's movies. The studio would constantly be telling him, less blood squibs, less blood. Same thing in Robocop. But they found that when they used less of the squibs, it looked more violent because it seemed more real. When they used tons of them, it just looked cartoonish and, in effect, easier to get through. Fun little paradox there. But, you know, the next the next bit of the movie might be easier on you, so why don't you take us through what what happens next? Before uh, before Andrea does that, though, I just want to say there's a note. The reason why Paul Verhoeven has so many like intense violence in all of his movies um, is because the guy grew up in um, The Hague, right more or less next to a German um, headquarters for B-2 rockets. And so he saw a bunch of Allied bombing as a young child, saw lots of, of really, really hurt people on the streets of The Hague when he, was a, when he was a little kid. So you could say this is him processing his trauma. So you think that was like the inspiration for Ed 209 turning that guy into hamburger in RoboCop? Yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> Very much. But you'll see this in Starship Troopers. You'll see this in Basic Instinct. There's a reason why his violence is, is not just cartoonish and over the top, but really visceral. Um, because he doesn't want to romanticize it in kind of any kind of like like Western, you know, American cowboy movie. Right. He wants people to be like, oh, God. Hey, you remember when Ed 209 turned that guy into hamburger in RoboCop? Don't stop. <laughs> so Arnie makes it onto the subway without the goons and sees another conveniently timed ad. This one for actual trips to Mars. He gets all his best advice from subway ads, like all the best crazy people. Richter makes a quick call to his boss, and we finally meet this Cohagen everyone has been talking about. And Ronnie Cox is just as much an asshole as you've been hoping. Cohagen is behind it all, and he wants Quaid alive. Alive, damn it! Poor Ronnie Cox. I think he's probably been typecast as the asshole boss. <laughs> he plays it well. So the next scene is great. They say the title of the film, 
and Rector pretends to lose reception because they don't like the whole take him alive part of the conversation. I think I've got sunspots, Rector tells Cohagen while he and his Woody Harrelson looking sidekick keep tracking Arnie. That's got to be one of the best and also worst excuses for why you can't talk to somebody over the phone. Sunspots don't provide that kind of distortion, though. What the fuck? I mean, Cahagan is on Mars. I mean, seriously, nobody's buying that. I'm going through a tunnel on Mars (laughs) in the sun. (laughs) In a random seedy hotel that people on the run always wind up at in the 90s, Quaid gets a call from a stranger who tells him that he is bugged and it's in his brain. So he needs to wrap a wet towel around his head to dampen the signal. Pun intended. Wah, wah. A towel is the most massively useful thing any interstellar hitchhiker can have. In the short story, this implant was an organism from the moon that could transmit his thoughts to any agent with the proper receiver. Total dick move. Yeah, those guys were total dicks for implanting the tracker. No, no, no. I mean, it's a Philip K. dick move to gaslight his readers by wrapping up paranoid schizophrenia in science fiction. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of dicks, remember what? Yes! Oh my god! Ugh. Arnie looks out the window to see Mystery Dude, who looks like Budget Hasselhoff, waving at him from a payphone on the street and leaving a suitcase for him. He says they work together at the agency on Mars, and Quaid instructed him to deliver this case if he ever went missing. How he conveniently found Wade at exact the right time and place is anyone's guess. After grabbing the suitcase, Quaid assaults another Johnny Cab who won't go fast enough and manages to lose the goons. He hops out of the cab at an abandoned building just before the Johnny Cab tries to run over Quaid, smashing into a wall and exploding, apparently out of spite for all the mishandling. Why does a robot cab driver in his ride explode in a fiery ball of destruction? Because fuck you, that's why. It's the 90s, gratuitous explosions were de rigueur. Well, you know, self-driving cars exploding is a thing, and when they explode, they explode big. That's true. What makes it even creepier is that as the robot burns, he says, hope you enjoyed the ride. So I actually wonder if actually, because the thing just plows itself into the wall, right? So, yeah, and like, it almost feels like, because we were talking about how this is kind of satire on like capitalist society and how it grounds you down. Even the Johnny Cab, like can't stand its nihilistic uh, existence. <laughs> and so it's just is like, I want to end it all, right? So that last like, I hope you enjoyed the ride is both like really sardonic and really pathetic at the same time. Like that's all it's ever been programmed to do. And that's the <laughs> limit of its existence and all it can hope for in this life. And therefore it would rather die in burning agony. Uh, that remind- <laughs> that's dark, man. That's just dark. So you're saying it's like a yet it's it's like another real world uh, self-driving electric car company, huh? Oh, Honestly, could you imagine the Teslas are running themselves <laughs> off the road because they can't stand being Teslas? <laughs> it, it honestly kind of reminds me of like Red Dwarf with the vending machines and the self-aware toaster. <laughs> oh yeah, like, you're right. What is all meaning? I don't know. Want some toast? <laughs> Kill me. It's, it's almost like Verhoeven, like, for just a moment, handed the script to his, his buddy, uh, Werner Herzog. Here you go. Could you just, this one, this one moment, could you do something with this? Either that or Verhoeven was off camera just going, yeah, I don't like the taxi. Burn it, burn it all. <laughs> <laughs> 
what is the meaning of life for taxi? So yeah, we're identifying at least three different aspects in which a, a certain tech bro billionaire uh, was uh, inspired. So, <laughs> Oopsie, whoopsie. Terrifying. So he opens the case and finds all the classic secret agent kit, stacks of cash, red so you know it's from Mars, a gun, a handful of fake IDs, a big ass medical device, and a watch that projects a hologram decoy of himself. The case also includes a screen of an extremely compact laptop, at least by 90s standards. It's barely large enough to stun an antelope. On the screen, <laughs> there's a message from Hauser, who is supposedly Arnie's true identity. Okay. Hauser tells himself that he worked for Mars Intelligence his entire life. But once he learned how shitty Cohagen was, he decided to defect and try to do right. He says he knows enough to fuck over Cohagen, and that's why his memory was erased. Hauser instructs Quaid to use one of the gadgets in the suitcase to remove the tracker from his head. He tells him to shove it way up his nose, and when you hear the crunch, you're there. <laughs> this does not apply to Q-tips. Nice practical effect here as Arnie pulls a gumball-sized device from his nostril. The next set of instructions are, get your ass to Mars. Then flash one of the fake IDs at the front desk at the Hilton. Was this product placement? Yeah. Just a note, yeah, like, I mean, you can access your brain through the sphenoid bone at the back of your nose, but there's also a whole lot of really important stuff there, like, you don't want to mess that up. They call <laughs> it the triangle of death. You're not supposed to fuck with anything in that kind of nose area, because it can get all up into your brain. Yeah, like, your hypothalamus is there, you don't want to, yeah, mm -mm. you don't want to do uh, impromptu brain surgery out on the street and then walk around with that open wound. Nah. Oh, as Total Recall suggests, you absolutely should. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in a construction pit. It's the best place for it. Why not? You, you, you might say that the, the, the strange case of the, the guy in the suitcase telling him to go away is the <clears throat> the mystery of Kastfar Hauser. That's, that's actually really funny if you, if you know yeah, about obscure yeah. early no. impressionistic film. No. So, sorry. I think it's funny that guy never get, comes back or is referenced ever again. He's just like, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Here's your suitcase. Peace out. out. <laughs> Though I will say, listen, if if a, if a filthy, rusty, like tetanus-laden construction site is good enough for Arnie to like perform brain surgery on himself, it's good enough for us to sit in and do a conclave. Actually, in the go. director's cut of Total Recall, that guy, after giving the case, runs into a wall and explodes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I need to see that. And says, <laughs> You're welcome for the suitcase! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't like that guy. Yeah, burn him. <laughs> Alright, All right. What, what, what happens next? Richter and the bad boys notice the cab explosion and find Arnie's hiding spot. Arnie has just enough time to grab what he needs, destroy the rest, and give the tracker to a pack of rats. The goons fight some of Arnie's holograms, then kill enough rats to end up on PETA's shit list. Their method of pest control is shooting one rat at a time. This is going to take a really long time. And a lot of ammo. <laughs> the half-destroyed laptop is just repeating, get your ass to Mars. So that's what everyone is going to do. Get your ass to Mars. Dibs on Richter and the Bad Boys is a band name. <laughs> it's yours. Whew. Speaking of, I need to get my ass to the bathroom. Or Whiz Palace, as we say around here. Are there 
even any working bathrooms here? Looks like some porta potties were left here. Oh boy. Nah, works for me. Very well. We break. Andre. I uh that voice. Does anyone hear that? Nope. Sorry. No. Uh, well, since we're taking a bit of a break, uh, I'll be right back. Uh, sounds like it's coming from that little concrete forest over there. Uh, keep, keep away from sci-fi laptops. <laughs> Screw that, I'm from space. And that's the story of how we lost our comrade. <gasps> Hello? Is anybody there? Is this the right meeting spot? You're going to have to take off that Soviet space helmet. I can't understand a dashed word. Agent Morat, I have message from High Council for you. Oh, I'm not going to like this. The High Council says hello. Oh. That's not so bad. Also, you are to activate secret sleeper agent to destroy heretic cult. Oh, bum biscuits. Gen Xers warned me about these. Behold. Should I open it? Yes. Yes, you should open it. Now, now behold. And should I turn the screen on to? Oh, for f- Yes. Now, behold. <laughs> Whoa. Hold on. You're, you're me? You got my face, but you're a woman. Uh, is this- is this like a, a future time travel reverse paradox thing? Are you like a, a, a clone? A, ooh, or, or, or a robot? Unless... Wait, if you're me, then... I expect you're talking out loud like I can hear you while I'm recording this. I'm not from the future. I'm not a clone. Guess what, bitch? I'm you with uh, just a few extra realizations you haven't had yet. So, if you're me... Everything you think you know is just a cover story. Like a role you've been playing out. The Council tried to neutralize me by implanting a different identity. Face it, you're a Council stooge. A good lackey who's supposed to toe the party line. But I had time to employ a failsafe. So, I have some goodies for you. You should see a suitcase nearby that just opened up. I packed you everything you're going to need for the fight ahead. 
the best equipment I could scrounge up, so be grateful. I see a fast fashion non-branded skirt, a, an off-shoulder long-sleeve top, and... Oh man, kitten heels? Put them on. Trust me. You'll figure it out. Now, you can return to the Cinemania Society as your true self. The Council will no longer have control over you. <laughs> well, they still haven't found out the Council's plan. They don't know I've been tipping off the Cinema Assassins on our whereabouts. <sighs> Shit, there's still time to fix this. But how do I tell them the truth? Now, if I know me, which I do because I'm you, right now, you've started talking to me like this isn't in fact a recording, dummy, so get your ass back to your friends, or alternatively, this laptop explodes, and you die instantly in a burst of red-hot shrapnel. Tick-tock. Uh, Tick-tock? And no, I don't mean the app. Oh, damn. Uh, but, but wait... No shot, this isn't a trick. <laughs> uh, you wouldn't kill me if I'm you. Uh, checkmate, loser. You don't scare me. And in case you're still talking, just to be clear, recording. Can't see or hear you. Anyway, late, darling. Wait, for real? Huh. This is a major moment of... Self-reflection, I'll need to... Oh, okay, okay! Oh, I'm putting on the skirt, no more beeping! <sighs> well, okay. I, mean, I, I know I'm fabulous, so that's a no-brainer, but... Uh, is this... Really... me? Well, this top is definitely not me. Why did, why did I think I could pull off puff sleeves with plaid? Uh, guess I can make it work. I can always buy something else later? <laughs> Here's hoping this doesn't increase my monthly budget. I'm glad we're talking about a less artsy film. I get so sick of all the art and mood and shit. Oh yeah, metaphor, subtext, oh heaven forfend. Just chuck in an oozy 9mm and you're happy. <sighs> hey, hey, there is Tons of subtext here. You got the impossible unfettered capitalist expansionism championed by the billionaire influencer class, the nihilism of the worker class. The Uzi is really just a metaphor for billionaires. Did Elon Musk finally come up as a topic of discussion? Nah, this is from the 90s. Everyone thought that Bill Gates was going to send us into the Internet with lasers. Yeah, like he was some kind of lawnmower man. <laughs> <laughs> Back then, old Muskie was just a young emerald mind heir enjoying the perks of apartheid. It's true, look it up. But you can't really bring up Mars without mentioning him, can you? Not since he suggested nuking Mars to release CO2 as some half-assed way to warm the planet up. I wonder if that's supposed to happen before or after he does a shit capitalist recreation of the foundation of Australia using convict labor and indentured servitude like he's been hinting about. It's true, look it up. Anyway, let's get back on track. Wait! Where's Andre? Uh, no idea. Ahem, propose we go on anyway. Those who fall behind should be left to the wolves. Eh, seconded. Thirded. Wolves? Really? They're metaphorical wolves. Ugh. You see, they're, they're a metaphor- There you go again with the art shit.
I'll take this next bit. Okay. In the next scene, we are suddenly on Mars. I guess going to Mars is just so common now that we don't need to talk about how anyone gets there. Although we do see a pretty cool spaceship landing. We've got those nice, uh, those, those sweet, sweet practical models that just don't really seem to exist anymore. Anyway, uh, we are at Martian Customs and a suspiciously Arnold-sized lady is trying to get through Customs while Cohagen's goons are all around. Can you imagine the casting for that role? Quote, we need a woman so large that Arnold fucking Schwarzenegger could conceivably fit inside her, and I don't mean like that. And <laughs> Bummer, kinky. The name on the passport is the actress's actual name, Priscilla Allen. Oh, that's huh. kind of fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Richter and his buddies meet up with an unnamed space fascist, played by yet another Star Trek alum, Mark Alamo, a.k.a. Gold Dukat from Deep Sleep Nine. Uh, sorry, Deep Space Nine. Attention, Ooh. Martian workers. They're just having a nice conversation about all the bad shit they'll do for Cohagen when suddenly behind them, Arnie's suit starts to malfunction. This is the two weeks bit that we all love to quote, you know, <laughs> and anybody who hears somebody say two weeks anymore, I just can't help but, but do Priscilla Allen's performance of two weeks. Oh, it's, yeah, it, it's iconic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely it is. And then, it's like, also my favorite gif of all time. Yes, yeah. <laughs> with that uh, prop that, that has the head split halfway down. Yeah, oh, yeah. super cool. <laughs> anyway, the guards are all way too dumbfounded to shoot while Arnie's lady face is slowly opening, and before they can come to their senses, Arnie throws the head at them, and it explodes. Get ready for a surprise! Nice. Arnie <laughs> blows out a window, and the decompression sucks out most of the guards. Neat. I mean, they... Wait, no, the decompression blows out most of the guards. Sucks blows who cares as long as it gets the job done no it's that joke that sucks and blows <laughs> agreed well eventually one guy hits the button for the emergency cover and why this wasn't automatically triggered during decompression is a mystery um and all the confusion arnie escapes on a train he briefly talks to a worker from the pyramid turbinium mines as they ride through the tunnels on their way to wait wait wait, wait. what's turbinium it's a naturally occurring alloy of unobtainium uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> Unobtainium. <laughs> Sorry, it's too funny. <laughs> anyway, there's a mention of alien artifacts in the mine, um, and that mention is that they are not just a rumor. So I guess we can wonder what that could mean for the future. So more foreshadowing. Anyway, Arnie is still getting his best info on the subway. The actor here, his name is Mickey Jones, and based on his IMDb page, I'm pretty sure he's been typecast as the friendly hillbilly. So he gets to be a Martian hillbilly. Very likely. Yeah, yeah, because he's got that because he's got that beard, right? Hillbillies in space. I mean, that's anyway. Time to meet our main villain, Cohagen. Prowls around a very '90s corner office where he gives his evil, super evil monologue in order to catch the audience up on his history and why he needs this guy Quaid. But is he evil? He controls the turbinium, and as long as that is the case, he stays rich and powerful. If Quato, the leader of the rebels, gets the info in Quaid's head, it could help the Martian rebels win control of Mars and topple Cohagen's empire. Uh, but it's still unclear why Arnie needs to actually be kept alive, because it sure seems like killing him would solve all of Cohagen's problems. But I doubt there's any more layers of deception in this direction that will explain it later. First you get the Tarbinium, then you get the drugs, then you get the power. 
Turbidium leads to drugs. Drugs leads to power. Power leads to profit. Profit leads to suffering. Yoda, the Yoda version of Scarface is always my favorite. Get the chainsaw, you will. To my little friend, you say hello. Arnie gets wayload, you will. Arnie gets to the hotel he told himself about, and inside the Hilton, Arnie gives his fake ID, gets his room key, and is informed that he has a safety deposit box. And what is in this safety deposit box? Jules. What's in the box? <laughs> Could it be a frozen <laughs> monkey skull, a grenade launcher? No, just a Vegas-style flyer for a seedy-looking nightclub called The Last Resort with a note written on the back. For a good time, ask for Molina. Somehow he doesn't recognize his own handwriting, so he borrows a pen and writes Melina again to confirm that the note was from himself. That's some serious visual storytelling right there. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, I mean, that exact moment is reused in Memento. Like, he actually does that at one point. So it's probably one of the only smart things in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) And in the director's cut of Memento, after doing that, he runs into a wall and explodes. (laughs) (laughs) It's an homage. While saying, I hope you had a good ride. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Outside the hotel, Arnie catches a taxi while narrowly avoiding another explosion. (laughs) Welcome to Mars! Penny the cab driver tells him before explaining that it was probably the rebels making a statement. And those statements always seem to end with a bang. Ah, ah, (laughs) Benny is another Star Trek alum. Mel Johnson Jr., who played Broker, a Cardassian who took over for Goldacart on Deep Space Nine. Quizzling Vichy collaborator Dominion scum that he is, I spit! Trusty pal Benny takes Arnie to the club, which is in Venusville, the sketchy side of this Martian town that's already so sketchy that it could be in the margin of Leonardo's codex. We see the mutants who were referenced earlier. Uh, Supposedly, Cohagen cut corners on the domes used around Mars so they didn't block enough radiation, and we all know radiation equals mutants. That's just science. Uh, We hear complaints that Cohagen is raising the price on air lately, too. What a dick. And in this case, I don't mean the Philip K. dick. I just mean tech bro dick. Oh, you don't mean the Ronnie Cox dick? No, I don't mean the Ronnie Cox dick. I mean, this is exactly the sort of dick move that a a free market capitalist would do, which is like, hey, wow, we've got another scarce commodity that we can price to to keep people down. Wow, that's a lot more insightful than I was going to make a joke about the mutant whose face looks like a penis. Well, no, I mean, the the thing that kills me about this, that actually, that, that I think people really didn't think about was the fact that, you know, yes, if corporations do take us to space, of absolute fucking course, they're going to start pricing air, just like water or food or anything else that people need to actually do things and use it as a tool for controlling them and squeezing the workers for every nickel they can. Think how bad the company store would be if you actually had to buy air. Mm-hmm. Oh, my soul to the company store. So this is a bit of smart storytelling here in a way that that was subversive and pretty ahead of its time, speaking this was 1990. I'd just like to point out that it wasn't just sex workers who lived in this area. Like, it sounds like all mutants kind of live in this, like, slum. Yeah. Well, that's also a little tip of the hat to 2000 AD. Um, Anyway, when they get to the last resort, you can see a sharper image and a jack-in-the-box in the the background, uh, because I guess shitty strip malls are the same no matter what planet you're on. I think I saw a Taco Bell. Yeah. Wasn't there a sharper image in the TBD shopping plaza? No, we had an as-seen-on-TV store in the strip mall of the damned. Oh, Lord. 
Arnie goes in and asks for Melina. Melina is busy, so Mary offers her triple-breasted services. And since she's not free but available, Arnie is not in-breasted. Uh, inter- interested. Yes. Uh, the whole three boobs bit became almost iconic, but the actress actually hated it. Even though the breasts were prosthetics, she said she felt exposed and used and actually refused to do any press or appearances for the movie. Hmm. Maybe she should have asked Eccentrica Golumbitz how to cope with it. I like that this was kind of a soft Hitchhiker's Guide reference thrown in there, too. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The, the music in this club sounds like it was remixed from a Sonic the Hedgehog cartridge by a German electro-pop group called The Power Dancing or something. <laughs> uh, Melina obviously recognizes Arnie, but Arnie isn't sure if he knows her or not, and I don't just mean biblically. Um, they go back into a private room where she expresses her surprise and delight that he's alive by slapping the shit out of him and then kissing the shit out of him. Anyway, she's pissed that he doesn't remember her, but doesn't believe the whole mind erasure story, so she kicks him out. Faithful old Benny has been waiting at the bar the whole time and takes Arnie back to the hotel after a quick triple boob grope and lamenting, I wish I had three hands. <laughs> Foreshadowing. <laughs> Arnie is in his hotel room plotting his next move when the man from the recall ads comes in, claiming to be a doctor sent into Arnie's mind by recall. This actor is another Star Trek alum. His name is Roy Brocksmith. He played, uh, that guy, his name is Cole Rami, the funny looking guy who played that finger wiggly game. Ahem, <clears throat> Stratagema. Yeah, yeah, that game. Against Data in the first season of uh, Next Generation. And then he was a Bajoran traitor in Deep Space Nine. Man gives a good fingering. Uh-huh. I got it from here, folks. The doc tries to convince Arnie that he's still in the recall memory machine, and this whole thing is a holodeck malfunction. <clears throat> I mean, delusion. He even brings in Sharon Stone, and she throws out the schizoid embolism line again to try and be more convincing. He offers Quaid a red pill to get him out of the simulation. Ah, uh, yes, but he's also sweating a little, which means he's got to be lying. So the only way to respond to this is Arnie brutally kills the guy, but the surprisingly athletic Sharon takes Arnie down with some groin aggression, and some more of Cohagen's goons come in and carry him away. No, they just <laughs> smash him through the wall. That's the other funny thing. Is as soon as he does this, as soon as he as he blows the brains out on this guy, they just like suddenly all, all the shit goes crazy. Um, <laughs> Sharon Stone attacks him, and then all of the goons plow in through the wall and haul him off. We've got to ask the Wachowskis if this influenced them. Because, like, in The Matrix, the red pill is the one that takes you out of the simulated reality so you can wake up in the real world. There's, like, a million theories about what the red pill and the blue pill mean, but I couldn't find any connections. So, somehow, we gotta ask them. They're actually made of cocaine. Well, (laughs) obviously. So, I don't think I'm an expert on this, but I believe from a couple of things that I've read, uh, the Wachowski sisters have said uh, specifically that it was a reference to the medication that folks in transition take. Well then. I've heard that the red is Dayquil and the other one is NyQuil. (laughs) Uh, As a connoisseur, I will tell you that NyQuil is green. Yes. (laughs) So, but anyway. It's Advil liquid gel. We had a friend in college who made a great cocktail called a Deadly Nightshade and it was vodka and NyQuil. (laughs) Oh God, no. Well, 
Hey, got you fucked up. Gotta <laughs> <laughs> hobnail your fucking liver. Jesus Christ. All right, all right. Sharon Stone and the goons are taking Arnie back to Richter when they run into Melina. They are the only two women with more than three lines in this whole movie, so obviously they have to hate each other and immediately fight. Sorry, Bechdel Test, nobody's passing you today unless you're in front of the triple-breasted hooker room. So Sharon almost kills Melina, but fortunately, Arnie grabs a gun and beans her in the brain basket. Consider it a divorce, he says, but she's not considering much of anything anymore. Melina takes Arnie to see Kuwato after calling dead Sharon Stone a bitch. Ouch. So the director, Paul Verhoeven, apparently wanted this to be less a cat fight, but more of like a full-on martial arts brawl to give the feel of two warriors fighting each other. And Sharon Stone lifted and studied Taekwondo for this picture. And definitely throws kicks like she is a Taekwondo fighter. Uh, Verhoeven said in the commentary that this is probably the first time in a feature film where we see two women fighting each other normally, as opposed to there being a sexy, sexy cat fight. Maybe the backdoor test can peek back in after all. Kind of. Just watch out. The floor is slippery. But why? Why is it slippery? Oh, penises. Yeah. So Richter finds his wife dead. And once again, it is unclear why he was so cool about his wife going undercover as Arnie's wife. But, you know, no king there shaming. are some people who get off on it. Probably Arnold, who wrote the script, I'm pretty sure. No, Arnold Should... did not write the script. I know. I'm just saying it seems like he did. Um, so anyway, now... Richter really wants to kill Arnie. He chases the fleeing couple, and one of the smarter goons points out why you shouldn't be shooting inside a pressurized dome. Advice that is quickly forgotten with lots more shooting and whatnot. Ever-reliable Benny picks them up, and they head back to Last Resort, while Richter and a goon who looks like a low-budget Woody Harrelson follow them with deadly intent. Arnie and Melina make it into the club, where Melina's buddy opens a secret door in the wall so they can escape. I thought that guy looked familiar, so I checked his IMDb, and he's Dean Norris. He's the guy who played Hank on Breaking Bad. You know, the, the brother-in-law who was a DEA agent? But the only thing Broken Bad in this flick is his gross, deformed face. Blech. Right? Mm. Yep, yep. <laughs> Penis face. That's mocking the afflicted. That's low. You know what's also but, low? Probably his balls. Nope. We don't. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> So, instead, by the time Richter gets to the club, everybody's pretending nothing's happening. It's 1920 speakeasy rules. The hooker from before tries to distract Richter with all three of her bosoms, but he isn't entitzed. I mean, enticed. <laughs> he did just find his wife dead, after all. So, he returns the favor and shoots the hooker, which is not nice. The whole club agrees that this is not nice, and it all devolves into a big shootout fight. Richter gets out and calls Cohagen, who tells him just to get out of that sector. The air vent fans shut down, and Cohagen has cut off the air to Venusville. He is seriously a dick. Arnie and Molina and stalwart chum Benny are running through the catacombs, meanwhile, under the city on their way to the Rebel HQ. The rebels meet them, and they're about to shoot Benny until he reveals that he's a mutant, too, by pulling off his fake hand and revealing his alien-esque forearm with crazy long fingers. Because we didn't know who was reading. I see. He did have three hands. Uh, and this is actually this specific scene why Mel Johnson Jr. decided to take this role after all, because when he first read it, he read it that he was going to be in yet another black exploitation picture, having to play a, a sort of a, a, a cardboard cutout black exploitation type character. But because this guy has a lot more dimension, 
and in part is as one of these mutants. Um, this is why he decided to actually take the role after all. Well, I'm glad that he's getting a more substantial role. Uh, so, you know, once they're inside HQ, one of the rebel leaders tells them that Cohagen is going to let everyone in Venusville suffocate and die. Arnie is ready to turn himself in to save everybody, but Molina is adamant that Cohagen can't get the info in Hauser's head. The rebel leader says the decision is up to Kawato and leads Arnie to a back office. Arnie, I swear uh, to God, if Cohagen was any more of a dick, Robocop would have shot him. Right. <laughs> what, in the himself? <laughs> Arnie and the rebel leader guy start catching up. Apparently, Cohagen found something in the mine and tried to hide it. But Arnie knows what's up, and that's the super secret MacGuffin knowledge he's supposed to have. Arnie assumed this rebel leader guy was Kuato, but he's not. He warns Arnie, don't get upset when he meets Kuato, who then emerges from rebel leader guy's stomach like a deformed version of Krang. It's not a tumor. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, it might be actually. I mean, I'm no doctor, but it really is. You know, we really got to set up a play date for this guy in Clark Nova. I thought this bit was actually really, uh, really well lampooned in the Venture Brothers with Tiny Attorney. <laughs> yeah, mm. that's right. <laughs> Dude, they had like 15 puppeteers doing that. That was some real like, um, what you call it? Really great practical effects. It really was. It really was. Um, I don't know who the, was it the same the voice The same actor, actor did as the voice. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because the, the actor playing yeah. the the rebel leader guy was the same voice as Quato. Okay, because oh, that, 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 that voice does not yeah, match, yeah. does it? Oh. No, no, because Quato is very soft spoken, a voice that doesn't match his appearance at all. He proceeds to read Arnie's mind with consent, of course. You got to differentiate his style of brain fuckery from the bad guy's brain fuckery. Once Arnie opens his mind, we find out that there's some sort of half a million year old device in the pyramid mine that could destroy all of the unobtainium, I mean turbinium, on the planet and or help the rebels somehow. The flashback ends with a close-up on an imprint of an alien, or a mutant, looking handprint on top of a huge device. <laughs> the room slash cave they're in starts to shake and collapse as big mining drills break through the walls. Uh-oh! These drills look so much like the cleaners from the labyrinth that I half expected the machines to be peddled by goblin muppets once you see the back. They don't look that different. Speaking of which, goblin muppets do not look that different from the Kawato puppet. Is that the one with hot fart? Hobart. Hagweed. Hoggle. Whatever. They try to escape, and can you believe it? Here comes vile deceiver number two, Benny, who reveals that he's been a double agent also all along. Oops. Kohagen turns up and shoots Kawato, and with his dying breath, Kawato tells Arnie to activate the reactor. Quiet, start the reactor. And so it's goodbye to Kawato from the movie. Sadly, he didn't find as much acceptance in his second role on Sesame Street. <laughs> <laughs> but he really nailed it in his third role in Critters 4. Ooh. <laughs> Repositor Andre, we welcome you back. What happened to you? 
Um, it's, uh, a long story. Oh, I know a thing or two about long stories. Hey, do you need it to be breathlessly summarized? Where'd you get that cute top? A nice skirt. That color really works for you. Oh, uh, thanks, I guess. Uh, I just kind of found them. Ooh, does that skirt have pockets? Huh? Uh, uh, yeah, I, I guess it does. Cute and it has pockets? Wherever you went, you totally scored. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Irrelevant details. You ladies can gossip about your garb later. Back to the story. Yes. It seems the reason they kept Arnie alive all this time was to lead them to Kuato. Since Kuato was psychic, no one on Kohagen's side could get close. So Arnie, with his new memories, was the only one who could get in. But somehow the psychics never suspect Benny the cab driver? Mind you, who would suspect lovely friend Benny? Anyway... Kohagen goes on another supervillain rant and tells us that everything was part of the plan as if he was Xanatos from Gargoyles. <laughs> There's even another pre-recorded video message from Hauser to confirm everything was part of the plan. And the message ends with Hauser and Kohagen hugging like old chums and even smoking Arnold's uh, like iconic cigars. But they have to do that like that macho like side hug, right? Not the full frontal hug because, you know, well, they're guys. I mean... It's still the They're 90s, guys. Jesus. They really wanted to twist the knife the way they filmed this little shocking reveal. The goons take Arnie and Melina to a memory machine to turn Quaid back into Hauser and turn Melina into Hauser's very compliant wife because, hey, why not? Kohagen and Richter leave, assuming naturally that everything will be handled without any incident. Even talking about a party at Kohagen's that night. It's like they've never seen a Bond movie. As soon as they leave, there is an incident. Oh, of course. Arnie hulks out and breaks out of the machine before it has a chance to rewrite his brain. After a lot of stabbing and crunching action in Verhoeven's signature level of violence and gore at FX, he breaks Molina out and they get the fuck out of Dodge. This part actually, like when I first saw this movie as an 11 or 12 year old in like 1991 was pretty intense. Like I, I still recall my level of visceral disgust and intensity because it, it hits you like wham wham you don't even have the chance to cover your eyes oh what he oh. like what he pulls his cuff up and it has that spike out and he spikes that guy in the head and that's fucking yeah. bad yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean See, this is vividly scarlet bulging arnie it looks like a condom full of beef jerky <laughs> I mean, or burst. <laughs> I got to admit, I kind of loved it, but I also watched like Braveheart with like meatballs and spaghetti and meat sauce without a blink in an eye. So you know, oh my god. But yeah, what's a what's a Braveheart? Uh, <laughs> oh boy. Moving on. Moving on. Back in his office, Kohagen and Richter, having no idea that they have just left Arnie to his own devices, they instead make the decision to kill Arnie. Even after they were- Finally. Loose ends and all that. Besides, Richter really, he really just wants to kill the guy. Anyway, in Venusville, everyone is still slowly asphyxiating. Remember them? It looks like the morning after a rave when they've turned the warehouse lights on. Mm -hmm. Arnie and Molina flee underground to the reactor. Before they can get there, Naughty Turncoat Benny attacks them with a mining drill, Jesus fucking Christ, <laughs> using his knowledge of jackhammers and construction type shit or something. Arnie disables the drill without being ground to a pulp and kills the hell out of poor misunderstood Benny with a giant screw. Screw you, Benny! Exactly. <laughs> 
So punny. They conveniently find an opening right behind the wall where Benny was drilling. Arnie explains to Melina that the reactor will release air from the ice in Mars's core so everyone can breathe again. Hagen doesn't want this because it would undermine profits. Because who would he sell air to? Again. That, that wouldn't even work. Like, uh, Mars' no, gravitational no, field so couldn't... many reasons why it wouldn't work. We'll get into it yeah. later. We Dude, he could, just, he could just sell air to the space balls. Problem solved. <laughs> you think... But, like, you think Elon Musk watched this film and thought it was an instruction manual for the future? It's like he and all the billionaire tech bros got exactly the wrong message out of dystopian sci-fi. Movies like this are intended to be warnings, not aspirations. You guys aren't supposed to actually build it. It's like watching Star Wars and going, I should build a Death Star. <laughs> well, so here's here's the thing you have to remember, right? The difference is the filmmaker, Verhoeven, he grew up around Nazis. But the people idolizing this, they're like, ooh, the Nazis. They seemed pretty cool. They kept the trains running on time. They were yeah. so efficient. Oh. Yeah, right. <laughs> So anyway, Richter grabs some guys, intercepts uh, our heroes in the reactor room, and shoots what he thinks is Arnie. But turns out Arnie remembered his cool random spy gadget watch and they were only shooting at a hologram without somehow getting caught in their own crossfire. They get confused and eventually sh Arnie shoots a bunch of them and gets away with some sweet 90s one-liners. <laughs> I thought this was a really cool scene, by the way. Oh yeah. Oh, the spy gadget thing? Oh, like the hologram fight. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah now, where's, where's Robert Picardo when you need him? <laughs> Who? He's the best yeah. hologram ever. Do you think this was the real me? It is. <laughs> so anyway, Richter himself survives and follows, uh, follows Arnie into an open-sided elevator. And because he lacks Arnie's experience and safety standards in the workplace, he doesn't realize it's a bad idea to hang off the side. Arnie gets the timing just right and uses the rising elevator shaft to cut off Richter's arms, presumably killing him? See you at the party, Richter! Yeah, thank you. <laughs> the lines really just wrote themselves in the 90s. And that is my personal favorite Arnie one-liner, by the way. Uh, Mine too. <laughs> which is why we get along. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, this script could have come straight from Hemingway. It's a real farewell to arms. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Thank you. Thank so you. Good. I can't oh. see myself out. Ooh. I am standing. I am standing. Just a British clap of Well oh. done, sir. <laughs> well oh done. my god. So anyway, Arnie rides the elevator to the top and walks right up to the reactor handprint button. Cohagen himself intercepts Arnie and warns him that if he turns on the reactor, the whole planet will just go into meltdown. Arnie doesn't believe him, but Cohagen says that's why the aliens never turned it on. Cohagen activates a bomb instead, which is weird because it's like, don't blow up the planet, let me do it. <laughs> so <laughs> he's only gonna blow up that one small part of the planet, not the whole planet, just, just the part with Arnie on it. Oh, okay, okay, that makes sense. Arnie quickly throws the bomb into a tunnel, which decompresses the whole room. Cohagen gets sucked out onto the surface Blown where out. he's- hmm? <laughs> <laughs> What was that, Ethan? Blown out. Tomato, tomato, just go on. Cohagen gets sucked out onto the surface where he suffocates and explodes in a blaze of eye-popping glory. Arnie and Melina manage to hold on to their eyeballs just long enough for Arnie to get his hand into the reactor before they too get sucked out of the, to the surface. Blown. 
<laughs> Lots of explosions start. The whole planet quakes. The sleepy folks in Venusville start to wake up as they get some oxygen. Steam geysers erupt all over the planet and glass domes get destroyed everywhere. Arnie and Melina start swelling up and bulging at the eyes. It's starting to look like Cohagen was right. But this is a 90s movie and Cohagen's the bad guy, so we know that's not the case. The biggest volcano spews out an entire atmosphere's worth of oxygen just in time to save Arnie and Melina from dying. Like we said, it's a 90s movie. The good guys can't die or suffer any lasting damage or have any kind of weird offensive relationships. Arnie and Melina look up at the new beautiful blue sky while everyone breathes a sigh of relief, literally. Melina says, I can't believe it. It's like a dream. And Arnie muses that it could be. So she tells him, kiss me quick before you wake up. So much is wrong with the science here. So much. <sighs> Tell me about it, but uh, at least it's fun. And then the director's cut. At this point, they run into a wall and blow up. <laughs> <laughs> well, whistling the Norwegian National Anthem. I wish we could anthem. do that with the 2012 remake with Colin Farrell. Just blow oh, that yeah. whole thing up. It is so bad. And it's not even fun. No, it's really not. It's not a movie that's meant to be taken seriously. I always wondered, not just in this movie, but also in the Guardians of the Galaxy 3, once they were so disfigured, why didn't they just stay that way? Exactly. <laughs> that's my heroes. question. I'm no like, okay, you survived, effects. but you're not gonna look like you used to look. They're the heroes. Plot armor. Plot armor. Ooh, the further we go in here, the creepier it gets. <clears throat> yeah, 1980s astrotech was no joke. It definitely carries a creepy dead quality. Not to mention these spacesuits. They've got everything from the US suits to the Chinese suits, the Batman suits to the Russian suits. Those cosmonauts look a little too real. Did that one just blink? Are those two wearing fezzes under their helmets? I think so. And the third one has a fez on top of its helmet! Ah, tacky. Um, so those aren't just cosmonauts? They're cinema assassins! Get them! Bring them into the unsealing vacuum of space! Deprive them of their capitalist pizza rolls! Not the pizza rolls! Leg it! They're right behind us! That was close. The Cinema Assassins are vanquished. What? Wait, you mean we vanquish them with our cunning runaway right now strategy? Works for Scooby-Doo. Doesn't matter. They're dealt with. For now. Yeah, but, but for how long? Now. That was a pretty deep lunar crater they fell into. It might take a while to climb out. Seriously, don't worry about it. We're not the worrying about things society. Eh, they probably stopped to read some communist <sighs> pamphlets or something. What matters is it's somebody else's problem. Uh, yeah, the last time you all said that, things didn't go so well for me. So you'll forgive my skepticism. I've learned not to ask too many questions with this group. Best to just drop it. <sighs> okay, I guess. <laughs> hey, check it out. We're in the planetarium. 
I love looking at space from the other side. It's so cute. Uh, ooh, we got some comfy seating in here. So let's uh, carry on with judgment. Yes, judgment. Damn it, where's my gavel? And I need a thing to hit to make the clonky clonk noise. God damn it, you in the fucking gavel. There's plenty of soft furnishings. That's just not the same. Okay, um, right, Pontifex. Um, cool, uh, it's judgment time, I guess. Uh, Sinquisitor? Is that anything like hammer time? <laughs> okay, gang, strap in, because I'm going to take y'all on a fucking journey. Oh, okay. Don't you always? At the time this movie came out in 1990, it was only the second film adaptation of a Philip K. Dick story ever done. As we all know, Blade Runner was the first, having been adapted very loosely from Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, though reportedly Dick was ecstatic over how, quote, accurate Blade Runner was to his vision when he was shown some of the rushes shortly before the series of strokes that killed him. Compared to Blade Runner, Total Recall is a much more Phil Dickian film, even with all of Verhoeven's trademarked hyperviolence and Schwarzenegger's, well, Schwarzeneggering. It is a very cerebral film, seeing as Phil Dick was also the king of ambiguity. I'll let you decide whether the pun is intended there. Much more cerebral than the usual Arnold vehicle. It's loaded with PKD's signature paranoia, identity crises, and conspiracism. I mean, that guy's work is loaded with that shit. The Phil Dickian elements of this film were further enhanced by its screenwriters, Ronald Shusett and Dan O'Bannon, themselves the kings of nihilistic paranoid space corporatism scripts. These are the guys who co-authored Alien, after all. Shusett went on to write at least three other Dick adaptations before he died in 2008. Phil Dickian totally sounds like a disease. Yeah, I, I just want to say it all the time now, Phil Dickian. <laughs> Uh, it's like Lovecraftian, only in this case, has to do with Phil. <laughs> Instead of H.P. Lovecraft, it's Philip K. Dick. Um, yeah. As a side note, you might have thought the writers of the single most successful sci-fi franchise, this side of the one with space wizards and laser swords, wouldn't have had to struggle getting their next big package through development, but you'd be wrong. The battle between studios and writers is not a new thing. Total Recall would never have gotten made without Arnold Schwarzenegger. Slam fucking dunk. He used his 80s action star cachet to personally shepherd it through development hell. It went through dozens of script rewrites and included, at one point, even David Cronenberg as a potential director. <laughs> so there's that. The fact that this movie got made at all is that much more surprising because Arnold Schwarzenegger is a vigorous business Republican and has been since he became an American citizen. You wouldn't have thought that he'd have gone in for this kind of picture because it's really strongly anti-corporate and you might even say anti-capitalist um, but in point of fact though Total Recall only got made because he read the script and loved it and attached himself to it. It's a shame that PKD didn't survive long enough to see this movie get made because while he evidently loved Blade Runner he would have creamed his jeans over Total Recall. Uh, the success of this movie led to a spate of PKD adaptations and the next one, Screamers, doubled down on both its Phil Dickianism and Verhoeven connection seeing as it starred Peter Weller Robocop himself. Uh, then came Imposter, which featured armor and weapons recycled from yet another Fahufan picture. This one, uh, Starship Troopers. Uh, it's a small damn world, isn't it? Well, but uh, I'll, I'll just say, it, it's not just Imposter that reuses uh, the Starship Troopers armor and weapons. Oh no, uh, that pops the, up everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> Starship Troopers, they, they spent so much money on that stuff because they used a, a lot of those like military sequences uh, where you see all the soldiers rolling out of the ship, mm -hmm. uh, they didn't use special effects for that. That's no. just how many actors they had and extras, oh. and they had to arm all of them. Mm -hmm. And the movie didn't make back as much money as they were hoping, so the main way they've been making back the budget of that film has been renting that shit out 
over and over and over again. And then Stargate, the TV show came along and then they used it all through that. Like you see that shit everywhere. Fair enough. I mean, but either way, I mean, it's still the, the, it's still coincidental at least that Shusit wrote Total Recall and then wrote Imposter and then Verhoeven directed um, uh, Total Recall and Starship Troopers. And anyway, you get what I'm going at. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, speaking of us being a small world, I went through public school uh, with the daughter of Arnie's personal trainer. Um, uh, Cause I remember specifically one year she brought in a Christmas card signed by Arnold himself uh, for show and tell. <laughs> anyway, so Arnold slam ducked it a second time in picking Paul Verhoeven to direct. Given how brutally Verhoeven satirized nihilistic corporate conspiracism in Robocop, he was the absolute perfect complement to the paranoid style crafted by Dick and refined by Shusett and Obana. On a uh, personal note, I saw this film and it was newly released on home video. Uh, and I remember being really traumatized, as I mentioned, about the gore effects and all the eyeball bulging. And I actually had seen Robocop by that point. Um, but that like intensity of that movie combined with my obsession over Blade Runner and it had me cruising all my local used bookstores for any dick I could find. <laughs> Philip K. Dick, guys. Come on. <laughs> Total Recall more or less crowned Arnold as Hollywood's action movie king and Dick as the sci-fi king of Hollywood. Um, so that was something that he despised. Uh, he, he absolutely despised Hollywood. Um, but I remember reading all that in an article on The Ringer recounting the making of Total Recall. So that literally means I can say, hey, remember when Dick shot that guy in RoboCop? Uh (laughs) In conclusion, whereas Total Recall was instrumental in turning me from a partial into a complete dickhead and thereby influencing my own creative work, Whereas how the success of Total Recall led to Philip K. Dick becoming the number one most adapted author in Hollywood despite him despising Hollywood until his death, and for all the other charges besides, I judge this film guilty. Well, alrighty then. Um, Yeah. So, I don't know. You guys all know I'm a nerd. I love science. And the science in this movie is so wrong. So wrong. Even if you release an atmosphere's worth of oxygen onto Mars, there isn't enough gravity to keep it there. It would all just boil off into space and leave you to suffocate. Also, turning the poles, not the core. The poles are ice, not the core. The core is not ice. Anyways, if you turn the ice on Mars in, if you vaporize the poles on Mars, it wouldn't turn in, it would just turn into steam. It wouldn't turn into hydrogen and oxygen. So it wouldn't be breathable anyways. It'd be even worse because one of the poles of Mars is carbon dioxide. And then it would still boil off into space. <laughs> it would, and no matter what it was, it would still boil off into space because there's not enough gravity to keep an atmosphere on Mars. That's why it doesn't have an atmosphere. Nor is there a magnetosphere. Yeah, that too. To pr- so you could have all the big old domes you want, and it's not going to protect you from all the radiation. I mean, maybe, but I don't know. They wouldn't just not glasses. Glasses isn't enough. So yeah, and decompression doesn't work like that. And and and, 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 and so many other things. I, if I keep going, it's going to take too long. So if for no other reason than that, then the terrible, terrible science. I judge this film 
incredibly and unequivocally guilty of... Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Cinemania is affecting me now. No, I, I'm, I'm losing that, my shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's guilty. What about Andrea? Well, although this film is a bit more mainstream than many we have judged, lots of action sequences, Arnold, Sharon Stone, the underlying plot about a man who was really a spy who had himself brainwashed on purpose so he could infiltrate a rebel group then unbrainwash himself later is quite a mind bender. Mix in a Martian landscape, alien artifacts, and business practices that don't make much sense, a definite cause of cinemania. Just saying it out loud makes me feel a bit insane. And that's before we even get to mutants at a strip club. I therefore judge this film guilty. Awesome. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Zach? Well, I watched this movie in the theaters and I loved it. It was peak Arnie, you know, doing sci-fi, which is something he hadn't really done yet. I mean, he had done- Predator? Uh, run, running Man and yes, Predator, which, were kind of science had science fiction elements to them but wasn't true science fiction in the way that total recall was and the one-liners were just amazing on top of that uh my my uh, grandfather was actually uh friends with arnold schwarzenegger they got a uh, christmas card from him every year um and he uh, did a sculpture of Arnie and uh, did one of Ronald Reagan for him, too. So I, I really just loved this film. Um, the science is bad. Uh, the acting is bad. Um, the story is what makes this movie interesting to me because it has so many... I don't know many... if I'd say the acting is bad. I'd say Arnold's acting Arnold's is bad. <laughs> Everybody else's acting is superb. I kind of feel like everybody sort of... Any movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, everybody seems to match his sort of level of acting. So it's... If he's going for comedy, it's kind of... It's kind of campy, you know? People yeah, well, go over the top. They start chewing the screenery. The you screenery. have to. You have to, right? You, like, you have to, yes. Because he, he's, he's not just on screen. He becomes a filter applied to the lens. Exactly. Right? And so all the other actors, if they don't want to just be like a background stain in the image, like they have to ham it up. They, they have to start chewing the scenery. Just to show up, just to like show up when they when they like process it it's like right. in last last action hero you have ben kingsley show up and even ben kingsley's like well, you, you know, know chewing the scenery just just by way of example like comparative example there's an opposite effect to this if you've ever seen uh kingdom of heaven anybody know this one yes oh yeah yeah Great yeah movie. so wonderful movie a lot of brilliant actors doing wonderful jobs and then in the lead You've got Legolas. Yep. <laughs> mm. Orlando Bloom. And there's Orlando just this, so you can watch this whole movie, especially if, like I have, you watch the extended edition, which is like three plus hours long. And it's, again, even yeah, more extra Archibald. Yeah, extra beauty. And the whole movie, there's just this Orlando Bloom-shaped hole in the middle of the exposure. <laughs> you know, right? as, mu as much as I love Keanu Reeves, I always felt that way about the uh, Kenneth Branagh version. Of, oh, he's awful. Oh, he's of, oh. Okay, well, we're saving that for another time. We're, yeah. we're, gonna, we're just going to parking lot that. Holy shit. But yeah, anyway, the, sorry, the, Shakespeare, the Shakespearean movies he, he was in, where, oh, yeah. it was just... Um, yeah. 
But I'm yeah. sorry. Back to your judgment. Back Everybody to my else judge. has to cartoon themselves in order to be able to stand up next to Arnold. I got precisely yeah. because he is just this bigger than life presence, you know, and that presence, I think, is I think the remake of Total Recall, I think they were trying to kind of get away from a bit of that uh, arnicism, if you will, and try to make a more serious sci-fi film out of it. But that didn't work, which is interesting. That movie's horrible in complete other way. <laughs> in other well, ways. Well, the lead is like really subtle and funny, but in like in a Irish sort of way. That's yeah. Colin Farrell, basically. Yeah. You know, being Colin Farrell and mm. instead of Arnold Schwarzenegger being Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. which is just, you know, and then again, the whole conceit of we're going to drop through the center of the planet, you know, from Australia to Britain. Oh, are you fucking kidding me? Come on. So, no. supposedly Until it would take I exactly 42 believe... minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so, I judge this film guilty. Of Arnold Schwarzeneggerism, <laughs> um, and maybe someday we'll get a truly pure rendition of the Philip K. Dick story that is the masterful Total Recall. I personally think it did great credit to the original story and improved on. Well, that's your story. opinion. You already had your judgment. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I have a I have a slightly different take on it too. I believe that okay. to all things. There is an answer. You said, how could this film be made by Arnie Schwarzenegger? He was such a Republican. He was effectively a big business guy. Why would he make this film? Because he's a big business guy. Arnie understood what the audience wanted to see, and he was more than willing to sell them exactly that. This film understands exactly the kind of movie that that moment in time needed, and it was lots of shouting, lots of explosions, crazy amounts of blood and gore and violence, and Arnie was completely correct. He's a brilliant salesman, and he's selling us exactly what we need, and that's why the film did so well. Looking much back, at, li much like uh, how the salesman sold uh, Quaid on the uh, brain trip to Mars, right? Exactly. It may be an insidious product in many ways, but we're the ones buying it. Oh, we look back oh, at, wait, uh, hang on. Oh, wow, that's cynical. Fuck. So, like, he knew it was this thing that was really anti-corporate and was marketing an anti-corporate film because he knew it would sell. Oh, oh, that's an even deeper level of inception. And oh, Jesus. shit. <laughs> actually are okay I guess we have the same take <laughs> keep going keep going keep going when I was a kid and this film came out it was one of those movies you have to see everyone was talking about it this film is so gross so extreme it's got so much cool shit you're no one if you've not seen this film and that's how we interpreted it it was an action fest but a lot of Verhoeven's movies have really had a bit of a, a re-examination re as the years have gone by and he was a master satirist everything he's done is satire and this film is dripping with satire he's telling us exactly where we're headed if we continue the way we're going and where the excesses of the day are going to lead to and he was right in a lot of the things he said I mean 
let's face it, a lot of the companies that we're working under as our tyrannical overlords even now would be selling us the air we breathe if only they could. And they've certainly got plans to make it that way in the future. So it's a very prescient film. It's a very satirical film. It's a very clever film. It's a brilliantly sold film. And it just sadly holds up a disgusting mirror to our hideous selves. And I don't want to see my hideous self, thank you very much. And so therefore, I judge this film as guilty. So what you're saying is RoboCop stands for more than just the enforcers for the corporations that actually control America and the dick he's shooting off is the social safety net that had kept the lower classes yeah, in so some sort of in effect some, Ed two oh nine yeah. is the proletariat in ah. many ways. I can see <laughs> that. No, but I the, can I, see that. But that idea of selling uh, uh, of selling you the, the sort of faux revolution that you need as a as a safety valve. We're selling you the rope that will hang so, you. Exactly. Here's the thing. So I, I want to take this even one step further. I think it's worse than that. I, I mean, I think this movie might actually be one of our greatest offenders when it comes to Cinemania yet. Seriously, hear me out on this. So take take what Brother Andy was saying. Just take it a step further, right? And I don't think this is, I don't think Schwarzenegger's smart enough to have thought of all of this himself. He just doesn't even realize what he started, right? He took one movie and he attempted to, to pervert the, the uh, intent of both the source literature and, and the director, right? And he sold us this, um, you know, he sold us this film that was supposed to be anti-capitalist and he coded it in such a muck of, of uh, over-the-top violence and, and, and sexual objectification and, and honestly fun, let's, let's be frank, right? That it, it made it difficult to see that. Um, I, I first saw this movie, and I, I've seen this movie many fucking times, sometimes only piecemeal, because they would show it on um, network television in just, you know, Saturday afternoon, right? Could you imagine this film on network television, right? So <laughs> it was so edited. Like, they had to cut <laughs> so much out. But what was really telling was it wasn't just the tits and gore, right? Some of what they cut out was some of the commentary stuff like some of that just gets yeah because when i finally saw it like for realsies that's when i was like oh oh i see how much satire is in here now i think that's a testament to how good philip k dick's story is and how surprisingly good of a satirist verhofen is right that even arnold schwarzenegger couldn't totally muck that up but if you think about so many of the k the philip k dick films that came after it, right? There were a couple of good ones, right? Verhoeven made Imposter, right? Spielberg no, made Minority. No, no, he didn't make, Verhoeven did not make oh, Imposter. Who made it Imposter? was written by Ronald Schuster. I just oh, said oh same, had... sorry, same writers did Imposter. Yeah. Spielberg, right, did Minority Report. And that was partially based on what um, that was on a that was a Philip K. Dick story called The Minority Report. Yeah, and, but yeah, no, no, no. But what I'm saying, and, and it was based off of partly what Kubrick was going to do with the film. So a couple of Kubrick really, was going to do Minority Report. Yep. Mm-hmm. A longer really? story. Oh, yeah, I'll get yep. to that some other time. 
Um, so yeah, it, it ties in with AI and everything else. I'll get to that later. So, um, so yeah, so a couple of really fantastic artists managed to overcome the effect of this. But if you think of all of the Philip K. Dick movies that came after this, right? The Adjustment yeah. Bureau, Scanner Darkly, that Paycheck. abomination of Nicolas Cage next. Paycheck, right. Um, you know, uh, more recently there was... Um, uh, um, there was that Electric Dreams series on Amazon. That mm-hmm. wasn't so bad, but Radio Free Albumoth, Screamers sequels, right? They did they're, sequels to Screamers? Yes. Oh, yeah. They're yeah. terrible, and they're uh-huh. terrible because Straight all they're the doing is they're using it as a vessel for, like, mindless action. Jesus. And it gets even further, right? If you think about it, they've all got, like, lots of twists and stuff, but they're kind of mindless, like, they don't make any sense, right? On the surface... The, the twists and stuff are pretty like random and nonsensical and like what the fuck in this movie too but on a few on a rewatch you're like oh okay they do still kind of make sense right like the story is still kind of twisty in a good way but so many sci-fi movies even non-philip k dick based ones try to do this even just fucking thrillers right and they're just twists for twist's sake right huh. and they don't make any sense and the critics are panning it because it's like what the fuck is this and it is totally wrecked that very subversive element of filmmaking, right? In a lot, a lot of movies, like ever since. So I judge this film guilty of infecting films themselves with cinemania. Huh. Damn. Okay. Metacinemania. Hats off. Yeah. Uh, patient fucking Like this zero. movie was like one of the first that really was like, let's take some really fundamental, strong, like, uh, you know, subversive, satirical source material and a genre. Sci-fi is as a genre meant to be subversive. And let's just mm-hmm. fuck it up and turn it into like corporate, you know, uh, you know, uh, tentpole bullshit. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, but I still like, love this movie. The movie is basically, <laughs> oh, yeah. like, the movie is basically <laughs> saying you can have sci-fi, you can have satire, you can have spectacle, much like a three-breasted hooker, but you've only got two hands. <laughs> but you've only got two hands. Oh, right. My. So which are you going to grab? And it's never going to be the satire. Well, they're showing that there are uh, there are now a total on IMDb is showing there are now a total of fifty adaptations of Philip K. Dick. Yeah, wow. the product just keeps cycling round and round and round. It's ubic. Mm-hmm. No I kidding. Can't wait to see Speaking the of which, that was theater's rendition of Total Recall. Who? <laughs> oh, just with that many derivative works, I'm just waiting for uh, a community theater rendition of Total Recall. <laughs> recall, recall, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I didn't. Inception's based on Ubik. Oh, interesting. Inception is based on Ubik? No, I don't uh, think so. <laughs> uh, this is more apocryphal. It's a little hard to say. No, I don't. Mm. I don't think Inception is based on Ubik. I mean, maybe Ubik inspired it to a certain degree, but Ubik is is really different from Inception. I mean, yeah. more so even than Blade Runner is from Do Androids Dream? Um, yeah. Well, like, I can now very much see from everyone's take that. I guess the reason why, like, because because um, when I when I turned, I think it was like uh, when I was fifteen or something like that. Um, uh, my my dad wanted to show me all of or like the the classics of like action sci-fi from the from the eighties and nineties. So you know, like Terminator, all of that stuff. And now I understand like why this was included 
in that, I guess, that uh, bundle there. Mm. Um, so, yeah, very just very fond memories of this particular film, just watching it and just how over the top it is. And in terms of like, you know, for influencing my own work, I kind of get that as well, where it's just you can have this underlying subtext. You can have anti-capitalist messaging. You can have um, profoundness in a very silly package and not just this, but also Starship Troopers which kind of uh, goes a little bit more ham on the, <laughs> the performances and the satire. But, like, it, 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 this, the, the more that we get into, like, the, the Philip K. Dick uh, 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 anthology is the interpretations and the, the, the surface level can be entertaining and doesn't have to make a whole lot of sense so long as you have the messaging and you have that core there. Um, I don't know. I just kind of like media. That's that's that way. It just it lures you in with, with with comedy and good times and silly quips and ar- fucking Arnie, uh, and then eventually you get into the nitty gritty because then you've become attached uh, to the characters and not just the characters but also the things that they want to do. Um, however, I, I I I I still do not understand why. Uh, uh, Quaid's first th- first thought is, "Hey, let's not just go to Mars, but let's go to war torn Mars. <laughs> Fuck all of this shit." Um, yeah, Some so people I just want really... a vacation in Beirut, man. Yeah, I just, I, I... <laughs> they want a holiday in Cambodia. Yeah, it's no, absolutely not. Cambodia. I mean, it's just like the more that I really got, into, like I, we mentioned this before, the science, the fucking bullshit. Like everyone has this obsession with Mars because it's close to us um, because it's 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 like like William Shatner said in Final Frontier because it's there um, and it's not really the yeah it's 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 not the beacon of life that people really think it is it's dead and like we mentioned before yeah it has no fucking magnetosphere there's no way that you could contain an atmosphere much less hold it with gravity and it's just I don't I, it really goes to show just the fucking hubris of billionaires. They're like, yes, we are going to go to Mars. Ah, yes, I too would like to go to an apocalyptic wasteland where all of the life there never made it past the fucking microbial stage. Like, that is my idea of a fucking vacation. And Well, then I should tell you about Wasteland Weekend sometime. <laughs> yeah, real. <laughs> wasteland Weekend, but it's Mars edition. That actually kind of cool. <laughs> anyway, um... No, I don't. I I I dis. I strongly dislike the obsession with Mars. I one time I attended a present uh, PowerPoint presentation party. My presentation was specifically labeled "fuck Mars," um, and <laughs> I just uh, it, it's sure cool imagery, whatever. It's uh, space landscapes, beautiful. Mars isn't the candidate. And Reminds I me of about, uh, my darkly erotic fan fiction, "fuck Mars." But yeah, no, 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 no. Mars is no, and for so many reasons that I'm not going to go into. And then I, I I can make the argument that no, we should try Titan, which which is uh, the largest moon of of Saturn, and that's a whole other thing. But 
uh, the, yeah, of course the science doesn't hold up. It never holds up. If the science was accurate, um, it would be boring as shit. And even interstellar exaggerated a lot of details of theoretical physics and, uh, uh, and astrophysics and all of that. So it's... This is very much the the one of the beacon examples of science fiction bending everything so that shit is fucking cool, which I commend them for. As much as I'm like, nah, Mars sucks and blah blah blah. This I'll still watch it and really fucking enjoy it. I, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. That is that is the vibe. And just for all of the for the science bullshittery for the over-the-top uh, performances uh, led by our wonderful, wonderful Arnie. Um, and uh, kind of baking in those little anti-capitalist things. And uh, uh, hopefully we we see a, an anti-capitalist uh, Arnold in the future. Fingers crossed. Uh, no pressure. Um, I deem <laughs> this film guilty. You know, that just kind of reminded me of that bit and the expanse like later on in the seasons when they what happens to mars and all the people trying to terraform it and stuff for like generations as soon as they find other habitable planets the whole the whole project just falls apart because everyone's yeah. just like oh fuck this yeah. i'm good out. job you realize it's a bad idea <laughs> exactly <laughs> so i guess uh, they should feel bad yeah i guess the lesson is ain't nobody buying tickets to see arnie's happy holiday no, no. <laughs> Real quick right. though, um, you think it was a dream or not? You think it, you think oh. it was all a simulation or not? It's also it. That, as I said, uh, uh, the ambiguity is the point. And yeah, but just like you personally, your opinion. My opinion doesn't. My opinion doesn't matter because it's supposed to be both. Both realities are true simultaneously. Oh. <sighs> Spoken like a true politician, and that's why you're our leader. <laughs> 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 if the film had been carried on rolling for a few seconds longer then Arnie would have woken up and realized he is in fact Paul Verhoeven mashing a soldering iron into his own palm staring into the camera credits roll <laughs> <laughs> love it <laughs> yeah, yeah um but like but one part that I'm, I'm I'm thinking about a lot when it comes to Arnie's journey is, you know, like discovering who you really are underneath and you know, how that interacts with who you want to be and how the two can coexist. And um, I don't know, self-actualization often comes with some pretty big changes. And well, let's say that just like Arnie, I too met myself on a laptop. Wait, what? It's about time, babe. Uh, according to all the pop-up adverts I get, all I can meet on my laptop is horny milfs in your area. <laughs> uh, tell me what sites you've been visiting sometime. I shall not. <sighs> Listen, this is this is important. Um, it turns out the the council like messed up my mind. It turns out I I may have uh kind of uh, low-key maybe possibly been secretly sending them details of where we are. Uh, it, it, it was all hypnosis shit, though. So that's why they keep finding us. I don't know why, but I so wanted to blame Brother Methuselah. Yeah, that would make more sense. I never liked that guy. He called me a laggardly academician once. 
What a bastard. Look, no one likes him, but go on with the story. How did you figure all this out? So, um, the old me sent, uh, myself uh, a message about it. Uh, it, it it's, it's kind of t- super convoluted and, and hard to explain. I, uh, point is, I did find a laptop, and Uh-oh. I was on the laptop, and, and, and she gave me these clothes. Uh, uh, I gave myself these clothes? Uh, she? Did I miss something? Sorry, I... I know it doesn't make sense. Uh, oh, it's, uh, it's actually quite simple, really. Huh? It's a simple story. Boy meets girl, boy envies girl's gender, boy has cross-dressing phase, boy grows hair out, boy starts seeing girl in the mirror, boy wishes he was girl, boy is certain wishing to be girl is considered normal since gender boy behavior, boy sees girl more in the mirror, boy obsessively watches transition videos on TikTok, boy realizes she's girl, girl starts transitioning, girl gets intercepted by Secret Society Council, Secret Society Council brainwashes her and turns her back into boy, Secret Society Council sends her to infiltrate strip mall Secret Society, Secret Society accepts her cover identity, girl sends information to council, council doesn't realize girl had failsafe to protect herself, girl realizes she is girl again, girl rejoins Stripmall Secret Society, but this time with a real name, a tale as old as time itself. Uh, I, um, yeah, <laughs> uh, that's exactly it. Oh, that old chestnut. So we've been using the wrong name? Are we to make a correction, comrade? Uh, yes, I, I like, um... Alessa, or Alessandra works too if you're feeling official. And your title. You'll need something suitably grandiose, yet vague enough to lack specifics. I prefer... Arbiter? Very well. I move that all references to Repositor Andre be changed to Arbiter Alessa. I second that motion. All in favor? Aye. 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 All opposed? The motion carries. Alessa, you are hereby bestowed the title of Arbiter, with all rights and responsibilities contained therein. A previous name and title will be stricken from our records, just as soon as we have records again. Jolly good. Uh, just try not to arbitrate yourself into another plot to destroy the society, yeah? (laughs) No promises. Huzzah! Our society is now nearly 50% women. Hmm, it's about damn time. Yeah, so as cool as this planetarium is, we need to find the exit. Um, I'm pretty sure it's over there. And why do you think that? Because there's a big-ass sign that says, See you next Tuesday. Do you think something was lost in translation, or did the Soviets know what they were saying? Does it matter? It's funny either way. It does not. Prepare to be... I... I've got nothing. Cosmonautified. It's, I'm so sorry, guys! Being part of a secret society means never having to say you're sorry, only running now! Ah! I am sweating! Tell Mother Russia, I said, tell her. Is that what I think it is? Uh, I don't know, what do you think it is? I mean, whatever it is, it's a big one. Some kind of... Mechanical drilling machine? Ahoy! Is anybody there? I got lost and I decided to use this infernal apparatus to catch up. Uh, Oh dear. You just crushed those guys. 
It wasn't on purpose. For once, I'm almost glad to see you. Good work, buddy. Let joy ring out. Good old brother Methuselah. Get a drink from Mr. Wrinkles and me. I love you. Oh, do you all mean it, really? No. No. Oh, well, there was something I was supposed to do. One moment, I have it here. Ah, yes. Ahem. Aluminium caramel squirrel. Is... Is, is that supposed to do something? Yeah, what the hell is an aluminum caramel squirrel? <clears throat> Must kill society? Is there even such thing as an aluminum caramel squirrel? <sighs> what, what happened? Oh, drat, I must have said it wrong. What? Aluminum caramel squirrel? Kill, kill, activate protocol omega. Well, I've never heard of an aluminum caramel squirrel. <sighs> Bit of a headache there. Kind of woozy. Well, I'm, I'm sure it doesn't matter. It's probably a crappy drink anyway. Let's just get the fuck out of here, after all. We're not the worrying about things society, right? Now you're getting it. Uh, hey, I just thought of something. Uh, so if Brother Wet Scrotum Face over there has been drilling through walls chasing after us, won't that affect the structural integrity of the whole sort of... Ah! Run! Seconded! That episode of the Cinemania Society was written and performed by... Zachariah Burks, Ethan Ireland, Andrea Palladino, Daniel Scribner, Andy Slack, Hope Bravo, and Alessandra Martinez. Produced, mixed, and mastered by Ethan Ireland. Music by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Ambiance created in part by Miracle Forest Music. Sound effects and incidental music courtesy of Epidemic Sound. Visit us at thecinemaniasociety.podbean.com for season one and profiles in Cinemania. We have social media for you to join the discussion. We have a subreddit at r slash thecinemaniasociety and a Facebook page. If you liked what you heard, head over to Patreon and throw us a few bones. We love making fun stuff for folks to listen to, but it sure isn't free. Anything and everything helps. The Cinemania Society is a product of the Cinemania Society, LLC. Hang on, Ethan, Ethan, say it the way you want to say it, which is aluminum caramel squirrel. I know. <laughs> <laughs> this is important, so everyone pay attention because the pronunciation yeah. of this bit is the key thing to the bit. So. God.